WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. A master plan for the city of Charlotte came to a bit of a screeching halt this week. Charlotte 2040 comprehensive plan is, is years in the making now. The plan maps out development investments made in the Queen City over the next two decades. It aims to make Charlotte more equitable, inclusive, diverse, connected, innovative, make Charlotte a better place to live for everybody. And it would shape the future of places we live, we work, shop, and we play. Many U.S. cities have plans like this one. Charlotte, though, has not had a comprehensive plan since 1975, so we're overdue for one. However, this week, a new setback in approving the full plan. City Council members concerned over part of the plan that would allow duplexes and triplexes in areas where single-family housing is allowed. WCNC Charlotte's Hunter Science shows us what this would look like. Well, this would impact the types of homes that could be built right in your neighborhood. If council goes through with this, they would get rid of single family only zoning. It means more duplexes and triplexes could be built right next door to you. In a growing city, leaders are trying to plan what Charlotte will one day look like. It'll change the city that our children grow up in. A key to it, the rule book for building homes. About 84% of the residential land in Charlotte is zoned for only single-family houses. The city wants to change that, getting rid of single-family-only zoning. The changes would allow more people to live in the city by allowing duplexes, triplexes, and quadplexes to be built in single-family neighborhoods. Dilworth, Myers Park, Elizabeth, to name a few. There is a belief that that will help lower things like segregation and the cost of housing. Eli Portillo, the assistant director at the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute, says these types of changes are often controversial. Nearby residents often have concerns about traffic, property values, the effect on neighborhood character. Right now, there are only 5,600 multifamily homes in the city, a third of which were built in the 1950s. Council members are already skeptical and worried the public doesn't know single-family zoning is at risk. Single-family neighborhood is an American tradition. There are concerns with the single-family and the density piece. If we're setting our sights on single-family neighborhoods with the goals of breaking them up and making them include other types of housing, um, that is something that is very serious. Council members overwhelmingly say they are not ready to vote on this, so you still have some time to have your say in this matter. Join us now to talk about the plan. The City of Charlotte's Assistant City Manager and Director of Planning, Taiwo Jaoba. Uh, Taiwo, we, we should say here, people don't realize this, but, but cities don't just organically happen. It, it, they take a lot of planning by, by people like yourself um, for everything to come together and seem like it just organically happened. Explain for folks, what is this, what's the point of this Charlotte 2440 plan to begin with? Thank you very much, um, Ben. So the point is this, in order for us to be able to know where we're going, we've got to have a map to get there, right? And so comprehensive plans are essentially our North Star. They help us to guide our growth and you know where we're, how we're going to grow and where we're gonna develop. Not only that though, it also helps people to know what's gonna happen around them. And as people move into Charlotte, as people move around you know, from home to work, the plan essentially lays out a big picture as to how do all those things come together. But it cannot happen without community input. And so plan has just essentially put a lot of community engagement activities together to, you know, to engage folks, but also make sure that you are 
familiar with trends happening right now and things that you anticipate may happen in the future. There's a lot to this plan. Um, yes. W w one thing that sort of got some of the attention of, of city council members and, and us folks in the media this past week was, was the idea that that single family housing uh, here in Charlotte could, could be at, at least rezoned or changed to include duplexes and triplexes. And then you could have quadruplexes on some major streets. I think that's the right word. Um, put people's fear to ease. Uh, the city's not going to come and switch over uh, their single family lot tomorrow. I explain the, the big picture here. In planning speak, it's called upzoning. And essentially, what people have been saying is that it is going to eliminate or abolish single family zoning. That is a myth that's been put out there by some people. But I want to be crystal clear when I say we are not eliminating or abolishing single-family zoning. Some people may call it that way, but the fact is that you are still able to build single-family housing in any part of the city. Uh, in fact, nowhere in the comprehensive plan document does it say that, unfortunately, there's been a false narrative surrounding that. However, I encourage our residents to read the entire document. There will be more things that people will agree with because a lot of work has gone into creating a Charlotte Future 2040 comprehensive plan by our community and ourselves. It's a partnership. We're excited about it. We know what it means for our future. Let's put it in perspective. So about 385,000 more people will be added to the population of Charlotte in another 20 years, 2040. That takes us to over 1.2 million people. These people are going to need to find a place to live. Um, Charlotte is number one in the country for attracting baby boomers. We're also top five in the country for millennials. In a city where 80% of our land area is currently zoned exclusively for single-family development, and 67% are protected by HOA or Homeowners Association deed restrictions, building single-family housing exclusively is not sustainable. It's one of the reasons where we have um, affordable housing situation in our city today. Every market projection that we have seen has shown us that single-family housing is not going to be as popular in the future when you compare them to cached single-family homes like townhomes, duplexes, and in some instances, triplexes. And that's why we're saying that we need to be able to allow these types of housing products in other parts of the city. I feel like people fear what they don't know. And if they can visualize something, then it might make it easier. The way you're describing it, or the way I've read it, um, compare it to, say, some of the neighborhoods around uh, Uptown. Like, if you have Elizabeth or, or yes. parts of Dilworth yeah. or Plaza Middle, yes. where you have a lot of mixed sort of, you do have duplexes there or, or triplexes there, and then you have a, a few houses here. And it's, I mean, those neighborhoods are very, very nice neighborhoods. Is, is that sort of what it would look like? That's what it's, it's going to look like. As a matter of fact, during the engagement, whether we engage people in South Charlotte or in West Charlotte or in East Charlotte, in Dilworth, Plaza Midwood, Elizabeth, um, these were the things that they were saying. We want to be able to age and stay in place where you have a mix of housing products. So somebody who wants to downsize from a 3,000 square foot home to a 700 square foot townhouse should be able to do that without losing their relationships. Those are the types of things that we have. So yes, it's something we already have today. However, we're limited to where we can do them on corner lots for the most part. And there's only so much you can do with corner lots. And so allowing it throughout the city essentially create that 10 minute neighborhoods that we've been talking about, like in Dilworth, or like in Elizabeth, where you have triplexes, where you have uh, townhomes. We have a lot of that in Myers Park as well, by the way. So 
you know, I just want everybody to understand it does not necessarily mean higher density. What it does is it means diversity of housing types, and it does not necessarily means that developers have carte blanche, uh, you know, approval to do it anywhere because a lot still has to go into making it happen. But we do have it today. We just want to make sure that we have it, more of it in all parts of our city as we prepare let, let me get your response to this real quick, and we got to keep it quick because we're running out of time. Uh, if you keep it, keep it to like 20 seconds, was there enough public input in this? I know that's been a criticism. I know there have been virtual uh, uh, meetings that people have been invited to, but considering we're in a pandemic, should there have been more public input? So we spent the entire 2019 and a part of 2018 in public process prior to the pandemic um, hitting us in 2020. And there's a lot of other plans that have been adopted during that period. Um, as well. So we're not the only ones who have been doing this. I believe that we've engaged a lot, over 11,000 people, especially during the pandemic, and over half a million people in the last two and a half years that we've interacted with. So I don't doubt that we should continue to engage more and more. Adopting it is not the end of engagement as well. And so we'll continue to do this over the next several days and weeks. Taro Jaioba. Taiwo, you have a really important job and a, and a difficult job and a busy job as well. We appreciate you taking time and talking to us. Thank you so much for having me. All right, more Flashpoint on the other side of this break. Tornadoes, the tropical storm, severe weather is extreme weather, and we're here to keep you safe and to help you navigate your day. The First Warn team is there for you, no matter the conditions and the location. We're in your hand with the WCNC weather app, and we'll always be there on WCNC Charlotte. So wake up. Plan your day and your life. The First Warn Storm Team will be there for you. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Joining us, Charlotte City Councilman Tark Bakari. All right, let's talk about this Charlotte 2040 plan. It sounds nice. And then, granted, you get into some of the details, and that's where it gets controversial, especially with single-family housing um, changing. Uh, you said pump the brakes on, on this plan. The thing is, though, I mean, you know that this has been years in the making now at this point. Why now? Well, it's been years in the making, and it's been years and in, in years of us asking, hey, when are we going to see inside the guts of this thing? When are we going to, like, it all sounds great. And of course it is great. We need a comprehensive plan. We need a, a, a vision for the future and what we're going to do. But as all as with all things, the devil's in the details. And this is one of the most complex things we could ever undertake. So over those, those years, we've been asking and asking, hey, we need to see this. Like th this is really the crux of where we, as, as council members and leaders of the, of the community, need to weigh in and say this is the vision or direction we need to go we've never seen any of that and now we got into this point and i've been saying it for those years as soon as the the average joe community that doesn't normally pay attention to city council stuff um realizes what we're doing that we're rezoning literally the entire city um there's going to be an awakening like we haven't seen before so it's so critical we get it right and lo and behold kind of you know around halloween um during the pandemic all of a sudden, a 320-page document is kind of dropped out there, not a whole lot of attention brought to it. We don't even have deep dive sessions. And then, you know, we're teed up in the last week or so with, okay, we've got 60 days and then we're gonna approve it. Do you have any comments? And that's when the city has just, as I predicted, snapped into uh, an awakened, uh, awakened state of saying, wait a minute, you're gonna do what? 
Yeah, you know, and I, I've said it before, but I, I'll say it again. If you get nothing else from this year, this week's flashpoint, it's rezoning is the most boring topic. That is the most important topic that, that, that I feel like people, you know, sort of glaze over when we bring it up. Um, Devil's advocate here. Uh, if you say, well, listen, we already have neighborhoods like this in Elizabeth or, or Dilworth or some of the areas around Uptown. What's so wrong with having uh, neighborhoods that have have diverse, um, you know, property types, whether it's a duplex or a triplex or you got a single house, a single family dwelling over here? What's wrong with that? Nothing at all. And, and that's the, the sad part of this is, you know, as with all controversial things, everything gets painted in two camps, which is like, you know, don't take our homes versus everything's fine and it's the right thing to do. Uh, the answer is yes, Mix, mixed use, diversity of housing types, that is all the answer. And not to mention the biggest challenge and, and thing we need to solve for, which is um, more housing stock and more affordable housing. So all that, I mean, the densification is necessary. The problem is, you know, there's just in the 320 pages of documents, there's this preamble or manifesto of like all these issues, things that are, are wrong. We know that, but it seems like all the time was spent on, on saying, hey, this is what's been wrong in the past. And there's no connection to like, here's what we're gonna do and why that makes it right again. And in fact, many would argue that what you're seeing there is actually gonna exacerbate the problem even more because at the end of the day, whether it's duplex, triplex, or even quadplex that could be allowed on a on a half acre, whereas in the single family zoning um, realm, that wouldn't be allowed. You know, that the fundamental issue is still property costs, how much the land itself costs. So this isn't gonna be something that's gonna go haywire. It'll be, it'll cause annoyances in places like South Park and Ballantyne, but it's the places in our community where the land costs the least that are gonna get hit the most by this. And we talk about the gentrification and redlining and all the issues of the past. How is this with this broad brush not gonna do the exact same thing? Uh, you bring up a point that I, I know others, including Democrats, ha have made. But then there's this other side of this. And your colleague Braxton Winston tweeted out, um, single-family zoning is a tool of segregation. If you are fighting to maintain single-family zoning, you are advocating for segregation. Stop being racist, Charlotte. Your response. Yeah, I mean, I love my buddy Braxton, but that's one of, I think, his more ridiculous statements he's ever made. Like, if you came and said, the practice of redlining is a racist practice from the past, absolutely. Like, I'll be the first to raise my hand. A, a standalone dwelling, like, what's next? Are, like, 20-foot offsets racist from the curb? Like, they, we have to get to a point where, um, where, where in this new society that we now live in, we can... We can say something and understand there have been inequities and injustices in the past, but not everything is that. So the fact of the matter is, you know, we need to look with a scalpel into this problem and figure out how to achieve the outcomes we want, not spend all of our time diagnosing that these are racist practices. Here's my big brush. Therefore, we'll just say three or four words that we'll get rid of, and that will somehow miraculously fix it. I think that's that's my good friend, uh, Councilman Winston. Um, it, it was one of his more ridiculous statements ever made. Um... But you know what? The good thing is that people should know, the city of Charlotte, is that all you guys honestly actually do have good working relationships. It's not like it is at the national level. Where they literally don't speak to each other and can't stand each other. You guys do have uh, positive working relationships. And even more reason that people should pay attention to what's happening at city council. It's not boring. <laughs> it makes it could mean dollars and cents in your pocket. Keep that in mind. All right, Tark Picard, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it.
Thank you. The new chairman of the North Carolina Democratic Party coming up after this break. We're really desperate. Local business owner Craig Ray applied for a government loan to keep his business going. But when his request got stalled, Craig contacted the defenders and asked, where's the money? I know that after you contacted them, things moved pretty fast. Just glad we could help you. If you're asking where's the money and feeling financial pressure, the WCNC Charlotte Defenders are here to help. Email us at thedefenders at WCNC.com. We're there to get you answers to where's the money, only on WCNC Charlotte. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Joining us now, the new chair of the North Carolina Democratic Party, Dr. Bobby Richardson. By the way, she's the first African-American woman to chair the state's Democratic Party. Uh, Dr. Richardson, thanks for coming on and joining us. We appreciate it, and congratulations on, on the new uh, job title. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. Tell me, what is, uh, you've got a big job now, um, especially in what's considered to be a, a purple state by many. Um, what, is, what is your priority? My priorities are to build on what the Democratic Party has already succeeded at. We are so grateful that 2016 gave us the Governor uh, Cooper leadership. In 2018, we uh, fought back the supermajority in 2020 we continue to have the governor's race and want, we won the governor's race and we continue to fight back the supermajority we want to build on that and we want to make sure that we win the senate uh, race by making sure that we have the infrastructure in place to support our candidates and also that we have volunteers in place to uh, carry out the work of the get out the vote f we are concerned about the fact that we were not able to do voter registration and education to the extent that we would have normally done in an election year because of the uh, pandemic. And so we will uh, have an aggressive uh, voter education drive, voter uh, registration drive. And also we will have a better communication with our rural counties. We do well with uh, urban counties because they're right there, kind of uh, niched right under us. But we are going to have a 100 county strategy where we focus our efforts on each region, listen to those regions, and then build a strategic plan based on what the people in those regions say they need, rather than we trying to uh, guess what they need. We plan to have regional organizers so that we can build relationships and have people on the ground and from the community that know the community and will be able to engage the citizens of that community. The, the thing is, already as okay. it stands right now, uh, Democrats outnumber Republicans by a few hundred thousand in North Carolina. Unaffiliated voters outnumber Republicans um, by uh, uh, quite a bit. Why aren't Democrats already performing better um, than they currently are? Well, you know what? If I had the answer to that, um, I would really be um, just kind of like a halo on my head. But I think the effort in 2020 was the fact that we did not have the face-to-face -face and um, we didn't, we're not able to go into the communities and talk to the voters. And we always know that there are some voters who are going to split the ticket or either not vote all the way down the ticket. The, um, uh, what we call the down ballot ticket, in 
a lot of voters vote for the president and uh, the governor and then choose not to. So those are the answers that we are looking for as well. And the only way we're going to find those answers, uh, uh, find answers to that question is to engage our voters, talk to our voters, and help our voters understand why it is important to vote in every election. I want to get you on the record about this. Um, when it comes to uh, getting students back in the classroom and getting teachers back in the classroom, at this point, we know a year into this thing, uh, classrooms are one of the safer places um, uh, because it doesn't seem that this virus transmits uh, among students like it does uh, adult populations. Should students be back in the classroom at this time, full in person? You know, I am of the opinion that there are people who know the answer to that better than I, and I know our governor does not, um, is not ready for that because we do not have the infrastructure in place yet. Our uh, experts are still uh, some uh, not totally in agreement on it, and as an educator and as uh, knowing just how uh, involve students become it's very difficult to teach students just sitting still and being isolated there's uh, group activities there are projects to work on there's cafeteria to worry about there's bathroom to worry about so i think i'm going to leave that decision to the governor and the experts that are studying it dr bobby richardson doctor thanks for coming on we appreciate it Thank you. Have a great day. You too. More Flashpoint after this. We're really desperate. Local business owner Craig Ray applied for a government loan to keep his business going. But when his request got stalled, Craig contacted the defenders and asked, where's the money? I know that after you contacted them, things move pretty fast. Just glad we could help you. If you're asking where's the money and feeling financial pressure, the WCNC Charlotte Defenders are here to help. Email us at thedefenders at WCNC.com. We're there to get you answers to where's the money, only on WCNC Charlotte. That's all for this week. Until next weekend, come interact with me on Twitter and Facebook. If there's something you want us to cover on Flashpoint, let us know. Let us know what you thought of today's show. I actually thought it was really interesting and hopefully informative for everybody. We'll see you back here next weekend.